Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about stroll through the November 2020 elections, how to win, how to on election theft, January 6th non-insurrection, and how to fix it all. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. So I'm not in my old, my usual studio. If you watch all, every day, you recognize this is, this is my old studio. We had a little internet trouble upstairs, so I'm back down the original studio when I first joined uh, Real News PR. And so uh, here we are in that. I also want to give a very big welcome to new listeners. This show was picked up by Brightian Radio, and this is their very first day on air. Brightian Radio is picking up America Can We Talk Live. America Can We Talk Live. I'm so glad to be joining them. Glad to have you join us. For our brand new listeners on Brightian and anywhere else, if you haven't watched the show before, this show can always be available to be watched at my website, americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org. And you can go there to that website and find our past shows, past interviews, all sorts of great information, our blog, we put up numerous blog posts, and uh, all sorts of good stuff is there at our website. Well, today is a Monday, and if you're a new listener or a longtime listener, I will tell you that on Mondays, I love to do a deep dive, and I call them Deep Dive Mondays. And the basic idea is that on this show, we try to respond to the daily news throughout the week. We have great guests joining us, very informed people. But on Mondays, I try to do a deep dive on one topic. And this week, I want to talk our deep dive to be on the, the basically an update to fight for fair elections. And I will tell you that one reason I want to do this is we're entering primary season here in Texas, uh, many other places, we have primaries going on. And one question that many people will put to their elected officials, to candidates who are challenging, you know, primary challengers is, what do you think about election fraud? It's become a bit of a litmus test for serious conservatives to figure out whether or not the candidates they are considering voting for, the people who are running in primaries, the question is, do they understand the scope, the magnitude, and the significance of election fraud in America? How broad election fraud was, not just in the November 2020 elections, where it was massive, but even before that, we, have, we are really becoming awake on the conservative side for many people for the first time in this year and uh, month or so since the elections, becoming aware of how broad, how widespread election fraud is, and how it has changed America really without most of us knowing it. So I want to hit today just a few cover points, and then we're going to dive into specifics. But in this first five, which will be longer than five minutes, but in this first five, I want to talk to you about a, uh, just some overarching issues and, uh, that kind of put the November 2020 elections in perspective. This data I'm about to tell you, and I want you to digest this, what I'm saying. In fact, I'll put a link up to this later on our website, americacanwetalk.org, because this data I'm about to tell you was in the Washington Post. So if you think I'm citing some right-wing conservative source, no. This was in the Washington Post. Republicans came within 90,000 votes. 90,000 votes of controlling all of Washington. I want you to think about that. Republicans came in the 2020 elections within 90,000 votes of controlling all of Washington, within 43,000 votes for the president, 32,000 for the control of the House, and 14,000 for the votes of the Senate. So shifts of 6% for the president, 2.2 for the House, 0.3 for the Senate, and Republicans would be in power in Washington. This is according to the Washington Post, where they actually believe the data that was reported by the media and reported by our election officials as to the outcome of the November 2020 elections. So it was that close, even according to those who believe the data as reported. But I want to hit a couple of other things, just as we set the table for looking at where we are in election integrity in America. I want to make the point to start with that when you consider in America, the single most important process, the single most important function government should have 
in terms of preserving a lo the long-term preservation of America, it is preserving fair elections. Because nothing else matters if the elections aren't fair. You could have candidates who say anything they want to say. You could have uh, people knocking themselves out, volunteering for a candidate and door knocking. You could have brilliant speeches. You could have brilliant debates in which people vote after the debate. Who do you think won the debate? None of that matters. Nothing the parties say or do or the candidates say or do matters if at the end of the day the elections are rigged at all. Now, we all know historically through elections have had some degree of fraud, some degree, and maybe even always uh, some degree of kind of unintentional um, inaccuracy, things like people not removed from the voter rolls, uh, somebody voting uh, in the wrong county by mistake. You have a tiny, even minutia amount of unintentional or you know, just kind of inconsequential election um, mistakes. But what we're looking at in November 2020 is not any of those things. It was a massively stolen election, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And, and I'm going to get in the details, but before I do that, I want to just, just encourage you to think about why it matters so much. You always know you're over the target. You know that old military expression, you, you know you're over the uh, target because you're taking fire. One of the things that the Biden administration did uh, almost instantaneously upon, upon his entry into the White House and into the presidency in, in a January of 2021 was to begin to characterize anyone, anyone who even hinted that they thought there was outcome changing election fraud to characterize them as somehow dishonest, liars, dangerous terrorists. In fact, there was a proposed regulation floated by the Biden team right after he got in office, essentially saying that people who challenge the idea that there was election fraud in the 2020 elections uh, really ought to be considered terrorists. They actually went there in this proposal, considering expanding a domestic terror definition to include people who questioned the outcome of the 2020 election. So we had that happen. We also had uh, in the, the uh, uh, just kind of the overarching setting the table in November 2020 elections. I want just to picture what the election night was like. If you watch the politics, watch politics like I do and many of my listeners do, most people recall that throughout the campaign season, throughout the campaign season leading up to election day on November 3rd, 2020, anyone who was interested could turn on television and watch massive, massive Donald Trump rallies. Not like couldn't get five people to come in. I mean, massive people standing in, light all, in line all night long in the rain and cold to get a ticket. People outside couldn't even get into the venue where it was, standing outside uh, waiting for the, um, the, just to be able to hear his voice, even though they couldn't get in. And then you watch the Joe Biden team, which of course, you know, was, uh, I mean, he had the excuse of COVID. He was probably relieved to have that excuse. Basically no events, no rallies, no one interested, nobody showing up in his defense anywhere. I mean, it was just, so most people watching November 2020 thought, wow, this is just coolest thing ever. You know, we're, um, you know, the, um, Trump is, is on a roll. And then we get to the night of the elections in November. November 2020, and people watching the television realizing, you know, all these swing states, okay, forget about the states that we all know, at least historically have been, they're going to go Democrat, they're going to go Republican, so, and everyone kind of knows that. And then they have these ones in the middle they call swing states, the ones which every election cycle, pretty much every campaign focuses in on because those are the places where you think you make or break your campaign. Headed into the evening on the November 2020 elections, you had five swing states who were doing the counting and all the media's reporting numbers and numbers are flowing along on television. Oh yeah, yeah. Looks like Trump's got this hands down, you know, no possibility he loses, everything looking great. And then we discovered during the night that they had all five states for some reason or another ceased counting, ceased counting, unprecedented, especially all five at once. And then lo and behold, the next morning or within the next few days as the tallies occurred, Lo and behold, somehow Joe Biden won all of those states. It stunk to high heaven. Everybody paying attention thought that just cannot be what happened. So uh, very, very dubious just on that election night of what occurred. But I want to remind you of some other little factoids about what occurred. Uh, and I want to go back actually to the election of 2016 at when Trump was running for presidency in 2016. About a month before the campaign uh, came to a close and the election occurred, Trump made a speech, and I used to play clips of it, and I could probably do that again, but Trump made a speech where he was essentially saying, you know, 
my election, my candidacy, my election is going to rattle a lot of people. I am paraphrasing. These aren't his words. But he basically said there are powers in Washington and powers internationally who do not want me to win this election. And he wasn't just saying Democrats or liberals or the socialists. He's saying powers in Washington because he, Trump, presented a significant, alarming to them threat to their hold on power. He presented that because he did not need their money to stay in office. He did not need their donations. And because he was an outsider, he doesn't play the Washington games. He doesn't play uh, the Washington rules about what you're supposed to do. So he alarmed many, many people. So he wins in 2016. We have four years. The left just, you know, continually just, uh, you know, doing gymnastics, trying to find reasons to uh, indict him, to criticize him. We had the entire Trump-Russia collusion hoax, uh, which made its way with almost no Republican defense of him at the entire House, entire Senate. Um, you had a guy kind of standing alone uh, in, in the four years of his presidency, small group of people working in the White House with him, small, tiny group within the House and Senate, more or less trying to support him. But you really had the ruling elite types in Washington uh, not happy he's there, upsetting all of their apple cart. I also mentioned two other things about the background uh, of the 2020 elections uh, before we get into what we should be doing now and looking into those elections. One was one measure with these counties they call the bellwether counties. And these are counties which, the, you know, the word bellwether is they're kind of, they, they are a test. They kind of can accurately predict what's going to happen. In these bellwether counties, which means these are counties which whoever won those counties in past election cycles going back decades, whoever the voters in those counties chose for president was the person who won. And I want to make sure you have these numbers. This is for nearly 40 years. These 19 counties have been the bellwether counties. They always accurately, whoever they choose for president is the one who wins. So they're considered a good indicator of the American cross-section of people. So in, that in this time, at tw in 2020, of those 19 counties, Trump won 18 of the 19 counties. 18 of the 19 counties. And he won them by a significant margin, by a margin on average of 16 points. 16 is a huge landslide victory. 18 of the 19 counties, Trump wins by 16 points. And on the only other county, the one other county, Biden won by about three points. So the bell, I mean, everything is screaming in the 2020 elections. Obviously, Trump's winning. Everyone can see he's winning. That's where we are. We all know this. Uh, so his campaign, the 2020 election, didn't pass the smell test, uh, didn't pass the when you just watch what's happening on the campaign, didn't pass the bellwether test. And the last thing I'll say about this, which is most astonishing, was Trump, in his second election cycle, 2020, so the second time he's running, he won more votes than he did the first time by a lot, by like 10 million votes, which doesn't happen. Even very allegedly popular incumbent presidents in their second election cycle lose voters. And Trump won voters, increased voters. And still with that massive increase, 10 million more votes, massive increase, Trump has allegedly uh, got to where he was supposedly the um, you know, uh, got 10 more votes, but somehow Biden won. So much about the election of 2020, just as they say, smelled to high heaven. People didn't buy it, didn't believe it. But I want to move forward and just tell you. So we have, we've had uh, many, many, many conversations on this show about the methods of election fraud, and we're going to continue to have them. And the reason I, I want to hone this down again, I know I'm slow my first five hours, so I'll get to my next topic in a minute. But the reason this matters so much if you cannot have fair elections, if you cannot rely on the election process, if you cannot rely on the accuracy, the validity, the legitimacy of the elections, you lose the whole country. You lose America. And this is why there is so much agitation among the people who are still today standing up, speaking up, trying to say the 2020 election was stolen, it is wrong, and we should be standing up, not just because they love Trump. They might not even like Trump very much. They might think he wasn't, you know, their cup of tea back in 2016. But they recognize the process itself is what has been corrupted, rigged, and, and now endangered. And, you know, back to my starting point in this first five, as we get into this campaign season, this, uh, this primary season, 
You're going to hear people asking candidates, what do you think about the 2020 election? And what do you think should be done about election integrity? I want to hear candidates agree that we have massive problems in election integrity. If I have to hear a candidate, either party, saying, well, you know, there's always some election fraud, but it wasn't outcome changing. Sorry, you're off my list. You're off my list. You don't get my vote because you won't deal with the most significant problem America faces, which is, can we ever have fair elections again? This is the test that is put to the patriots of this era at this time, is can we get strong enough and brave enough to stand up and speak up and demand fair elections and demand laws change in the states, stand up against what the Democrats are trying to do to the election process in Congress and say, we in America, we stand for, we stand up for fair elections. And that is my very long first five. Next thing I want to talk about today is like how to the how tos on election theft, like like how it really happened. And I, I will tell you that to start with, we've had people in the show describing the electronic election fraud. I'm not going to go into the weeds on that today because electronic election fraud for the average voter, they kind of think, you know, I I, I know that hacking happens. I know that banks, the federal government, you know, really highly protected computer systems are hacked all the time. I mean, it always making headlines, oh, so-and-so is hacked, data stolen, you know, banks have their computers hacked and banking records are stolen. I mean, hacking is a, a fact of modern life and everyone tries to be better about it, tries to, you know, make it somehow not as bad as it is. But the fact is, we have a problem uh, with election fraud and, and the particular example of using hacking into voting machines. If you understand hacking happens in banks, the Department of Defense and all over this country and major corporations and major governmental entities that have power to control their, uh, they try to control their computer security and they're hacked. If you're going to sit there and say, yeah, but it really couldn't happen to our elections, you know, that's utterly foolish. So the details of how it's done are not uh, the fodder for today's show, but I do want to urge you to go several places and learn this information yourself. One is the Telegram account of maybe the smartest person I know, which is Dr. Douglas Frank. He is very, very active on Telegram, and his, his Telegram account is called Follow the Data with Dr. Frank. Follow the Data with Dr. Frank. He's magnificent and brilliant. He's a mathematical genius guy, not even political until now, not even political until the 2020 elections. When he's watching what happens, realize, oh my gosh, how they did it, what they did. And his, his data, to quickly describe, basically shows that he can look at one county, one county in any state, look at the, the uh, data about the age range, age dis um, distribution of people in that county from 10 years ago and how they voted, and then predict. He looks at one county, he gets the breakdown of how voters voted in one county Age distribution, you know, 20-year-olds voted this percent, 21-year-olds uh, uh, voted this, all the way up to 100. And then he can, and after having looked at one county's data, he can predict the outcome to the decimal point in every other county in that state. Statistically impossible, except for the obvious proof it shows of election fraud. That's what he does. He writes uh, vociferously on Telegram. He's a very gentle, he's actually, we brought him to Texas a couple times. He's spoken here, he spoke at my summit. He's, he's a genius about these kind of things. So electronic fraud, dive in and read that. Also read the Telegram account of Seth Keschel, S-E-T-H, Keschel, K-E-S-H-E-L. He is a guy who is just a, uh, you know, a brilliant person at analyzing election data, done it for decades, one of the few people who predicted, overwhelmingly predicted, Trump's victory in 2016 when every other expert, all the, you know, the experts we turned to said, oh yeah, Hillary, a 99% chance of winning, 97%, no. He said Trump's gonna win hands down and he had the data and he was right. Read his account too. So there's proof of this electronic election fraud. But I wanna talk about the other ways in which the fraud occurred. Um, it's important to understand all these were at play. Part of the, uh, the, the uh, mileage, I think, that the people trying to shut down discussion of election fraud, part of the way they get mileage is say, oh, you're really saying that all these different people colluded together, one giant big conspiracy. And it's not like that. It's not like that. The electronic election fraud is controlled by one, or the electronic kind I was just talking about, controlled by one or more people, a group of people. I mean, we don't know who does it. We have some suspicions, but that's only one aspect of it. There are people in this country driven, driven 
because they truly believe that the, the anti-American, radical Marxist left, also known as the Democrat Party, are just entitled to rule. They're entitled to rule, and they will take actions any way they can to push victory for Democrats. So you had, as examples in this election cycle, as people began looking back at what went wrong and how could things be so inaccurate. I'll start with Arizona. We've been over the Arizona audit many times. The Arizona audit done by the Cyber Ninjas did not find, let me say it firmly, did find that there was election fraud. There was proof of massive election fraud. They chose not to word it in that way in their report, but they found there was just an overwhelming proof of, and the numbers are something like 50 to 60,000 votes, 50 to 60,000 votes that were invalid in an election where Biden won by uh, under 10,000, under 11,000 votes. Also, just a little bit of digging in Arizona, uh, just one county, Pima County, found they had more than double registered voters than the town's population in one town in Pima County. I could, I could list example after example after example of extreme proof just in Arizona, just when people start canvassing, recognizing that they have massive numbers of people, massive numbers of people registered to vote who did vote, who uh, more voters there than the number of people in the county. Uh, I also want to, you know, but they're also, Arizona's ongoing. They're in a battle there. We also have a battle going on in Wisconsin. They started to have um, the, the, the Republicans in the state assembly in Wisconsin have issued subpoenas to state election officials now. This is now, happening right now, this week. You have in Wisconsin, again, you have the Republicans in the assembly issuing subpoenas uh, to state election officials, and they want to have a former state Supreme Court justice conduct interviews with them, and their term is in secret. And the reason I want to say this is so important is many people work at election, as election officials all over this country. They think, they think, well, you know, their job as election officials is to um, you know, just follow the system as it is, uh, pick up where the last guy left off. They don't want to be, they're not necessarily part of any big conspiracy. They just follow along what the previous guy did. They take the data the previous election commissioner gave them. They follow the process and they don't like being questioned. And then many of them don't have any necessarily vested interest in cheating, but they've been very active in perpetuating that cheating by how they conduct their election offices. So uh, Dane County, uh, of course, uh, there were, okay, Wisconsin, by the way, had massive, massive, massive um, data available that shows it was, not, it was not a fair election. I mean, just data point after data point after data point tr trying to show um, they had, for example, um, in Wisconsin claiming that they had you know, 3.5 million active voters, which should mean a 93.7 turnout rate. 93.7 turnout rate. You don't have to be a seasoned, uh, you know, voting student of voting to recognize that didn't happen. It just didn't happen. It doesn't pass the smell test. There's, I mean, this is linked on our website. I can put it up again. Mountains of data in Wisconsin to show that the ent entire election process had major, major problems. Obviously, uh, peers have included fraud. So the Republicans in the state assembly, even though the media mockery mob has gone wild attacking them and the Democrats are attacking them, they're saying, you know what? We want to get to the bottom of this. So they want to have these subpoenas. They just had a, uh, the, a Dane County judge rule in their favor that Dane County judge allowed the subpoenas issued by the assembly members in Wisconsin to go forward to basically say, yeah, we're actually going to look into that. Uh, in Georgia, they're starting to look into election fraud. In Georgia, they have uh, just started recently um, investigating ballot harvesting. Ballot harvesting, another method used for election fraud. Ballot harvesting where you ba basically the law permits you, with the excuse of COVID, to send out a bunch of uh, uh, mail-in ballots, and then people... Uh, are allegedly picking up real mail-in ballots. Who knows where they're really getting them from, but they are turning in massive number of, of, of ballots that they're great, great question uh, as to their validity. So they started an investigation. Uh, uh, there are subpoenas out now. The Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, confirmed Tuesday his office is investigating allegations of large-scale illegal ballot harvesting. They start this investigation, and as it turns out, uh, and let me tell you what they're investigating, then, because this really matters. What they're trying to investigate is, this is something that the um, True the Vote, that great organization based in Texas, True the Vote, they alleged in a complaint that all these boxes that Zuckerberg, you know, Zuck boxes, Zuckerberg had placed every place in Democrat voting areas, that uh, these ballot 
uh, places where you can turn in uh, other people's ballots. So ballot harvesting is implying that you're stealing votes, that you're, you know, massive things are taken, sent out, ballots are sent out, you collect them out of the mail, you dupe people into filling them out, you fill them out yourself. Is somebody acting to turn in many more ballots than they actually, than, than the one vote they should have? They're collecting ballots sent to others and turning them in themselves. So this True the, True the Vote complaint says that their surveillance video, what they did, True the Vote put surveillance video over these ballot boxes. And in their complaint, in, the, in Georgia, True the Vote said that their surveillance, you gotta listen to these numbers, their surveillance video evidence suggests that 200, 242 people, 242 people engaged in a total of 5,662 ballot drops. So 242 people showed up at, the, at these ballot boxes turning in a total of 5,662 ballots, an average of 23 runs per alleged harvester. This is a vote scam operation that True the Vote has, has reported, made a complaint, Georgia's investigating, and now uh, as the Georgia ballot harvesting probe starts, some of the election evidence simply um, got, got erased. Who, who knows why? We don't know why. But the cameras that were supposed to be watching these video boxes, the cameras themselves, uh, they, er they erased the tape. So this whole ballot harvesting investigation, which True the Vote has been pushing for, uh, is gone. So you have, you have Georgia, uh, uh, which we're just talking about now. We have Wisconsin, Arizona's ongoing. So there were, there are ongoing efforts to uh, figure out what happened with ballot harvesting, try to correct it. Um, look at the data that Douglas Douglas Frank and Seth Keschel have produced. Um, and then you have, uh, by the way, before I get off on the election uh, electronic fraud, one more point to make. The left uses mockery to shut down investigations of anything they don't want investigated. The left shuts down a lot of investigations by mocking people who then get timid and step back. That's why I said, ask the people who you're going to uh, support if they are running in, a, in a, an election or a primary challenger. Do you agree election fraud happened, how big it is? Because if they don't, they don't deserve to represent you anywhere, not anywhere. Um, so I want to uh, urge that again, just say this, um, where we are now in fighting this election fraud is we're down to the really brave people willing to stand up. The Republicans willing to stand up. And a quick other point about this is after this whole debacle of the election of, of 2020, many, many Republicans in state legislatures said, oh, don't worry, we're going to take care of this at the ballot box. You know, I, I mean, in the legislative cycle, we're going to we're going to get after this. We're going to figure out who who did this. Yeah, we're, we're going to and we're going to have real protections written into legislation. So no more stolen elections will happen. And please listen to what I'm about to say. Not one state wrote in to their new legislation anything that counters electronic election fraud, at least to the best of my understanding, having looked at it many times. The states did things about toughening up voter ID requirements, uh, all sorts of other things. They, they tried to you know, maybe limit the number of days early voting, blah, blah, blah. But they did not protect against electronic election fraud. We're about to go to a break for our Brighton list, uh, uh, radio listeners. I'm going to tell you two quick things, uh, new listeners, before we go to your break. Number one is, if you like this show, go to americacanwetalk.org. Learn more about me and my show. Number two is, if you like my pillow, if you like any products at my pillow, go to mypillow.com and you can put in promo code DebbieG, Mike, uh, Mike Lindell's group, mypillow.com. You get up to 66% off. That's how I can keep this show on air. Go to MyPillow.com, put in promo code DebbieG, and I'll tell you about another product I have in the next segment of the show. For Brighton listeners, you're heading off to a brief break. For my main listeners or my, my existing listeners here on the website or on Twitter, wherever else you're listening, uh, we're, we're going to hang, hang right in there. The show goes on. We're going to give our friends at um, Brighton their chance to do their three-minute break. And when they come back... Uh, We'll be back. Okay, so I'm going to tell you, my listeners, so the new radio listeners are off air. This is just a, oh, we're just talking, uh, the people who listen to my show all the time. I want to mention a couple stories that didn't really fit in with um, what I'm trying to focus on today on election fraud, but they are really important stories to keep in mind. And they're, they're, they're not really about elections as much as they are about how to be a fighter, how to be a fighter, how to stand up. And the first one is, I don't know if you saw this interview, but John Stossel interviewed Senator Rand Paul. Senator Rand Paul has been really strong, 
really insistent that Dr. Fauci is out of line on many, many ways, and including specifically, Rand Paul has been saying that we should not have the federal government or the state governments, the government itself should not be taking away the freedom of the people because of COVID. We shouldn't be told they have to wear masks. We shouldn't be told you're gonna to shut down businesses. We shouldn't be told that you must socially distance, that the government does not have the right to control your life because of, a, uh, because of a COVID. Uh, they can provide information. They can be a good resource. They can put up public information announcements, but the government shouldn't have the power to take away your freedom because of COVID. So John Stossel said to him, well, come on now, Senator. I mean, are you telling me you're even saying that? Now, what if it was Ebola? What if people are dying in the streets, you know? It's airborne, they're dying in the streets. Surely then you would agree that the government should step in and expose and uh, engage in these, what he, Rand Paul, sees as tyrannical, unjustified government actions. And Senator Rand Paul said, no, the government should not do that even in those circumstances even if it were Ebola, airborne, you know, drop Devin to get near it. And he's right. And I want to make this point about what John Stossel was saying, what Rand Paul was said back. It's a political point. It applies to discussions with left-wingers all over the country all the time. What the left will always try to do, because they, don't, they can't win the points they're making, so the left will do instead is try to say, well, okay, but at least you can agree with me this far. At least go here. If you go here and we can agree on that, then we can disagree on other things. And what happens is once you get onto their playing field, you take their point, you agree with them. Once you get onto that, you can't get off. You, they, then they lure you right. Well, you agree to that. Now, Ebola, okay. Well, Ebola, it isn't exactly Ebola, but something else. And maybe just this amount of tyranny and this amount of injustice. And Rand Paul was right. Do not get on their playing field. Do not agree with their very first point because you can't win after that. One of the quick things I was going to mention because it is this season of primary challengers and heaven knows we have primary challengers in Texas and everywhere. And that is this. When anyone who's a long-term incumbent, and I have worked with candidates and, and, and no friend, friends who are elected officials who kind of take the argument, you know, and one, in fact, one in particular said to me one time, hey, you know, this primary challenger, you know, he'll still be up in the Capitol trying to find where the men's room is located. We'll all be fixing things. So welcome back to our Brighton listeners. For our Brighton listeners, we were, I was quick telling my, um, my uh, other listeners of this quick story I'll tell you, and then we'll come back to our, our election fraud tale. But I was talking about the idea that in this primary election season, you will hear people uh, who are primary challengers, uh, they say, I want to be elected to, you know, whatever it is, Congress, uh, you know, city hall, city council. And the incumbents will often say, you know, uh, I, I've been here a long time. I understand. Uh, I know how the game is played. I know how the committee structure works. I know how the rules work. I know how, I know how it gets done. You know, this bumbling new primary challenger will uh, still be, as, as this one congressman was saying to me, you know, he was saying about his uh, primary challenger, you know, I'll be, uh, I'll be doing important work and passing legislation, and he'll still be looking to find out where the men's room is located. And I got to tell you, people, if you, your job, as we're talking about the importance of elections today and the importance of voting, your job in voting is not to be an incumbency protection uh, commission. Your job is not to be uh, protect all incumbents. Your job is to figure out what the people running for office believe in. What do they believe in? That's your job. And when you and if they are the primary challenger, yeah, maybe they'll take an, a week or so to find out where all the restrooms are located. But if they're bringing fresh perspective, a fresh commitment to the freedom of America, a fresh commitment to the ideals of America, I'll take them any day long, any day over someone who's been up in Congress, in the state house, the state legislature, anywhere else, who is uh, proudly saying that the basis for their qualification is because they're an incumbent and after all they know how to find the men's room or they know how the rule the committee's uh, rules work in the committees doesn't matter that somebody who is really bright and stands for the right principles better than the incumbent they'll find everything they need and that's who we need this is you know this country was not intended to be the professional ruling class in america it was intended to be represented uh, state and federal level by citizen legislators who go up to washington they go to austin or wherever your state capital is they do their job and they come home they're one of us that's part of the we the people idea and part of what president trump ran on in 2016 and again was running on 2020 was the idea that he was going to stand up for the, uh, the, the American people. 
He's going to stand up for the American people, not the establishment interests of either political party, not really the goals necessarily even of the Republican Party, although I think that he was probably fine with whatever the Republican Party platform says. But Trump ran on. And why the people loved him, he ran on the idea that he's standing up for the people against what has become an entrenched ruling class. You can call it deep state, you can call it ruling class, ruling elite, whatever you want to call it. The people in Washington and in your state capitol who've been there too long, and they're really there perpetuating their own power. They may come back home and tell you what they believe in, they stand for, they're so great, but the fact, simple fact is what they stand for uh, it, it becomes whatever the ruling elite wants rather than what you want. And that, but we're going to do, continue on the deep dive uh, Monday, talking about where we are. You know, where today in the beginning of 2022, where we are in terms of getting uh, on our course toward fair elections again. But I was going to make one other point about kind of where we are in America. People have been talking about America is very divided and it's kind of like a civil war and you have the left and the right or you have the socialists and the communists uh, versus the, you know, the people who believe in freedom and free markets and, and a democratic republic with a constitutional republic. I mean, and, and there are sides. But really, the be I think the best analogy where the sides are it is the idea we're not really having a current or a new civil war. We're having a new revolutionary war. That's what's happening, an, an ideological revolutionary war. It's an ideological war happening in America between the people who love freedom. They love the Constitution, the Declaration. They love the freedom on which America was founded. They love the idea that the Declaration says we have rights from God because we were born. They like the promise of their rights, and they can see those rights being slowly chipped away at by, certainly by, the anti-American Marxist left, which now is the Democrat Party, but even more so by this ruling elite class, this kind of the dominant ruling people in Washington, we're basically saying uh, we make the rules and we're keeping these pestiferous, you know, undesirable, uh, you know, primary opponents out. And we really don't want the people uh, coming to Washington think they have thinking of any say in what's happening in America. Which gets me to January 6th and the non-insurrection. That was my next topic for today: the non-insurrection people. Well, I just, at tip of the iceberg, tip of the iceberg, covered with you in this show earlier today. And I, I grew up in New York. I can talk pretty fast. And I couldn't even get close to covering everything that most people in Washington on January 6th who went there to listen to President Trump's speech, I didn't come close to covering what many of those people knew. They, they knew about what happened on the November election night. They knew that everyone saw Trump was winning and all magically, lo and behold, new tallying happens and look at this, Biden turns out won all five of those swing states. Who knew? They knew the smell test didn't, hap didn't work because they saw the rallies for Trump. They saw no one even cares about Biden. No one rallied for him. No one rallies for him today. No one's standing, there's, there's nobody who's standing up and standing behind this guy. And they, at varying degrees on January 6th, began to understand the electronic manipulation of voter tabulation software. There are people trying to expose that. They understood about the massive ballot harvesting. Everyone knew that. All the massive ballot harvesting justified by the non-emergency of COVID, sending out ballots in the mail. They knew about all sorts of people saying, hey, I got five ballots in the mail. I could have voted five times. They knew all that stuff. They knew something was rotten in Washington. And that's why they're in Washington on January 6th. They're there because they wanted to hear President Trump talk to them. They're there to say, we do not want to honor this stolen election. They were hoping by going to Washington that day and peacefully demonstrating outside the Capitol, they were hoping to send a message to Vice President Pence and all of the elected, I mean, you like to think both parties, but at least Republicans in the House and Senate to say, you know, please look closely. You're supposed to be reviewing the Electoral College votes coming from all the states. Please look closely. Look at these states who are saying, hey, wait a minute, I think we got it wrong. We had massive fraud here. Send it back to us. Let us recalculate. That is what they were trying to, to convey. So you get to January 6th. I just want to make a few points about what, um, what the left is trying to do uh, on January 6th. It is one thing for the left and anyone to say, you know, we had some criminal conduct on the day of January 6th. Yes, smash windows and such. But I want to remind you of things that also happened throughout history. And I'm getting at the point that the left, in fact, this is a good point to pay, Mr. Becker, a good point to play this 
quick clip by Nancy Pelosi. And this is just one second, one second. So Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, was being interviewed in some left-wing news show. And she was trying to make the point that the, uh, all that's occurring around the January 6th committee, the January 6th committee that's looking into the non-existent insurrection, the non-existent insurrection, she's trying to comment on that, and she actually, and I guess now's the time, Mr. Becker, let's play Nancy Pelosi's clip and then we'll talk about it. Uh, I, I think that the order of things is very appropriate. There's nothing more important for us to do than protect our Constitution and our democracy. What the Republicans are doing across the country is really a, a legislative continu continuation of what they did on January 6th, which is to undermine our democracy, to uh, undermine the integrity of our elections, uh, to uh, undermine the, uh, the, the voting power, which is the essence of a democracy. So we have to do that bill. There is no more important bill that enables us. You have to understand what she's talking about. In Washington, the Democrats have a bill. They have several bills, but they had their first bill when they took power was before the People Act, a piece of legislation that simply would have cemented into place all of the fraudulent vote fraud tactics that the left used, cemented those in place, mandated them to all the states. It's a federal, not just federal takeover of elections, but the federal, the way the law was written, what they would require and demand, they would require states to engage in ballot harvesting. What caused so much fraud in 2020? It would mandate the states permit, and not just not permit, require the states to use ballot harvesting, to legalize ballot harvesting, eliminating voter ID. I mean, of all preposterous things, this is what this audacity of the left is just mind blowing. You have the left, these leftists in Washington, looking you right in the camp, right in the face and camera, like Nancy Pelosi just did, and saying, you know, we're just trying to protect fair elections. That's why we're doing this. Bill has to get through. And they know they are mandating provisions that would permanently defraud our elections, permanent corruption of America's election system. That's what they're doing. Fortunately, you have people in the uh, Senate who are standing in their way. You have people in the Senate who's not going to let it happen. Please let that continue. So you have the left trying to, th this massive fraud of the 2020 election, every leftist in this country did not only denies the fraud, but they denigrate, mock, and ridicule anyone trying to investigate the fraud. They, they dismiss them as conspiracy theorists, liars, cheaters, trying to steal an election. And the simple fact is when you add up everything they've done, anyone paying attention recognizes the election of 2020 was stolen. The people who understand the data understand that. And so you have these folks in Washington not only ignoring that, but trying to suppress the right of people to speak up. And then you have these people trying to pass a law that says, and we're going to make it so that this kind of vote fraud happens in every state, everywhere, and there's nothing the states can do about it. That is the audacity of what Nancy Pelosi is talking about. So back to January 6th, what happened that day. We've talked about a lot in our show. We'll talk about it again. Uh, but on January 6th, yes, people went from the Trump speech over to the Capitol. But if you watch Nick Searcy's film, uh, which was... Um, uh, I think the name of it, the capital, C-A-P-I-T-O-L, capital punishment, something like that. Nick Searcy made a film really showing, and we've had him on the show and played portions of his film, really showing about, you know, what the, um, what, what the occurred on January 6th. You had, yes, you had protesters, and you had a few of them very upset, but this, this protest was not an insurrection. Not one person, not one Trump supporter or anybody else in Washington has had the audacity, has been charged with insurrection. The DOJ, the Department of Justice, now completely controlled by the Biden cabal, the, the DOJ, the FBI, completely controlled by the leftist cabal that runs this country, has been investigating for a year, tracking people down their homes, knocking down people's doors. All of that's been happening, all of that, and not one single person one single Trump supporter has been charged with insurrection. Why would that be? How could that be? If it was a real insurrection, they have charged people, you know, a few people with trespassing, with uh, uh, parading without a license, parading without a permit. I mean, seriously, that's what people are charged with. 
parading without a permit, uh, and, and trespassing. But the left is willing to look you right in the face on camera, as Pelosi's doing, as many of the leftists are doing. I include uh, Representative Cheney as the leftist, looking in the eye and saying this was an insurrection. People, we have to be smarter than this. We have to recognize the left is using the legitimate righteous indignation of American voters on January 6th to turn America against President Trump, against the people who support him, against the, the uh, people who want to stand up for America, the, the people, the, the whole mass, the people. This is what the left has the idea. They will shut you down, they will silence you, and you will end up supporting them whatever they want. This is the point of the January 6th insurrection. So I mentioned the January 6th insurrection argument the left is making. They're calling it an insurrection. It was simply a protest similar to and much less violent than the many, 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 many protests engaged in by actual anti-American leftists in the whole 2020 election year leading up to the November 2020 election. Just as one example, in 2020, there were riots and protests uh, allegedly based on an incident involving the police in Minneapolis, but the riots and protests resulted in, just listen to this kind of numbers, 2020 riots, 15 times more injured police officers, 15 times more injured police officers, estimated damages in dollars, estimated damages to public buildings, police departments, private buildings, private businesses, estimated damage in America by the 2020 rioters was in dollar terms more than 1,300 times the amount of damage caused at the Capitol on January 6th. But nobody, nobody on the left is calling that out. Nobody's saying, hey, these people are pretty crazy. Uh, no one's doing that. It's all about, you know, January 6th, and they're trying to divert the American people's attention away from the uh, truth about what happened on January 6th. I don't want to duck January 6th. I want to actually do the opposite. I want to encourage you to read about it. Go to, uh, read Julie Kelly. Read Julie Kelly's writing. She's been brilliant writing about what's occurring, uh, what occurred in Washington on January 6th, brilliant in investigating this. Uh, you, also have, um, you also have the uh, leftists who just, there was a very serious violent attack. I, um, I thought I had it with me, but I don't. But there was an attack in 1983 by some communist organization, some American communist organization that actually blew up. I mean, they had a bomb explode at the Capitol, blew open a 15-foot wide opening in the U.S. Capitol, and they issued a statement taking credit. Yeah, you know what? We're trying to bring down America, and we're trying to attack these people. We didn't kill anyone this time. You know, we didn't get anybody this time, but we will next time. I mean, it was a very violent, obvious attack, and yet you didn't have the left and the media day after day after day after day after day calling the American, uh, the communist movement on America. You didn't have them calling it an attack on America. You didn't have them calling it insurrection. In fact, you want to contrast another great example was when you had an attack by a lunatic uh, who drove all the way to Washington to attack Republicans based on what Bernie Sanders was telling him. Based on Bernie Sanders' socialist communist rhetoric, this idiot drove to Washington in 2017 and opened fire at a baseball practice, at a baseball field in Virginia, and actually severely injured Steve Scalise and two or three other people. So I'm getting at this point. I really want you to grasp this. The left seizes on one day in Washington for a, whatever it was, six-hour time period on a day when, I mean, I'm going to tell you, virtually everyone in Washington who supported Trump was there because they know there was massive election fraud, could not get a court to look at it. Even the cases that were filed, the court would throw the case out without looking at the evidence, wouldn't look at evidence of election fraud, wouldn't look at the data, threw it out on procedural grounds like standing. So you have these people righteously indignant in Washington, and that one day of protests, not an insurrection, nobody arriving in I'll get to not an insurrection in a moment. The left seizes on that, and that is enough to tag 
Trump and every Trump supporter and every American who's thinking about supporting Trump or thinking about voting Republican as an insurrectionist. And they do this with the willing compliance of the anti-American media in this country that will continue this false narrative that there was an insurrection on January 6th. They're using the insurrection as a means to gain the false labeling of what happened on January 6th as an insurrection as a means to gain political power. But we can stop them because they are lying. And we do not have to agree with them. We should never agree that it was an insurrection. I mean, you think about insurrection word, you're trying to overthrow the government. These people are just saying to the government, would you please look at the facts? Would you please let these states who are now concerned about their electoral college votes, let them look at it again. That These people in Washington recognize what had happened and they want someone to look at it. You can't call that insurrection, especially when not one Trump supporter who got inside the Capitol was armed. Just think about that. You call it an insurrection when you, when you, what you want the people in Congress to do is to follow the law, to send this back to the states and let the states review this let them look at it, and maybe the states say, you know what, actually, we had so much fraud, we, we can't even certify our electors. They were trying to prevent this, this um, seizing of power in America by the American left through this stolen election. That's not an insurrection. But if we continue to humor the left as they label it an insurrection, as they, as they plow forward in their mission to have all of us believe it is an insurrection, um, then, then you really end up uh, in big, big trouble. A couple of things on January 6th. And I want to hit who the real insurrection, who is really doing insurrection. On January 6th, we now have this commission functioning in Washington. You know, all a bunch of Democrats and two uh, people who still put an R by their name, but they are Democrats and they are they are crazy leftists. But the January 6th committee, what they're doing to investigate January 6th, is all about trying to forever keep Trump out of politics in Washington trying to keep him out of the White House, to make him afraid to run for office, to make his supporters afraid to support him, to make Americans afraid to say they, they support Trump. This is all, as everything is with the left, it's all orchestrated. It's all with a mission to bring down conservatism, bring down people who believe in the idea of America. That's what the January 6th committee is about. It is not about getting to the root of it. If it were about getting to the root of it, then you wouldn't have Nancy Pelosi withholding documents. She still won't turn over the documents she's been asked to turn over by the committee. Just isn't going to do it. You wouldn't have these surveillance cameras at the Capitol. It's something like 1,400 hours, or it's, I think it's 1,400 hours of surveillance video that they still won't turn over to the January 6th committee. Now, if you actually think that everything that you, you think what you're doing is true, January 6th was an insurrection, you want to prove it, you would release every bit of video you have because you'd want to prove your case. That's what you would do. Yet you have the left working with this January 6th committee, commission, committee, will the, Pelosi won't release her records, the Capitol Police won't release, the uh, Capitol grounds will not release, the uh, police will not release her surveillance video, but we all just have to accept the mantra, oh yeah, this was an insurrection, yeah, this was about the uh, determination to take down the federal government. People, we can't play on the left's playing field. We can't let them do this to us. And, and I, I will tell you that there are people now refusing to cooperate with the January 6th committee. Uh, I, I saw that Jim Jordan, God bless that man, Jim Jordan, Republican congressman from Illinois, Indiana, uh, he's saying, no, not, not playing your game, not doing this. Uh, Mark Meadows is saying, okay, by the way, someone just texted me, 14,000 hours of video surveillance. Now tell me, if you were very proud of everything that happened at the Capitol that day, very proud of how the Capitol Police handled it, very proud of the way the Capitol Police interacted with the uh, people who were there protesting, you would proudly release those video hours. You would, because you'd want people to see. Obviously, they're not doing that. So this is like a, I'm talking about a kangaroo court. This is what we mock other countries for having a kangaroo court justice system. You can be prosecuted, you can be investigated, but you can't have the evidence that obviously is in the favor of the protesters because then maybe they couldn't persecute you anymore. And this is what the, 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 committee, the uh, people refusing to release the 14,000 hours of video are saying. You know, you might be able to defend yourself if we let people see what really happened so you can't see it. That's exactly what they're doing. So I wanted to say on the January 6th commission, 
we have to be strong enough to not humor them, to not treat it like a legitimate investigation, to not pretend it's a legitimate investigation um, for any of them. We, we, we cannot play along with them. Um, I will tell you on January 16, two other things are happening. We'll probably hit another day. Uh, but a, one of the January 6 protesters has now filed a lawsuit um, against the Capitol Police claiming she was beaten beaten by the Capitol Police when she wasn't doing anything violent. In fact, previous video shows her trying to stop someone from breaking a window, but she is suing the Capitol Police because the Capitol Police beat her. He hit her at least 40 times, well, I assume with a baton, one of those things police officers carry. That's what she's, she's suing them over that. So the Capitol Police, not in control, won't release the evidence, and yet what you want, the, what the American left hopes, is that you will, the anti-American left hopes and dreams and prays, that you will accept their narrative that this was a, a, an insurrection at the Capitol, that people barely made it out alive because it was such an outrageous thing. This is what the anti-American left hopes that you will take out of it. We have to be smarter. We cannot let them, we don't play along with their lies. We don't play along with the legitimacy of the January 6th commission, committee. You know, if you end up having the uh, Republicans take back charge of the uh, Congress, they're not gonna be a January 6th committee. Folks, we're almost out of time. I'm, this is my first day I'm doing this. I have uh, Brightian Radio is, is uh, running this show. I'm so grateful, very fun. If you're listening on Brighton, I think I'm out in less than a minute. And so I want to tell you um, very quickly, my name is Debbie Georgiatis. My show is America Can We Talk. You can see everything about my show at americacanwetalk.org. You can follow me at Twitter, on Twitter, at, at Debbie Can We Talk, at Debbie Can We Talk. You can go to our Facebook page, America Can We Talk. You can listen to the show on Brightian Radio. Come back next time. Okay, folks, I think we're done with Brightian Radio for today. Uh, I love that they uh, picked up on us. I want to take the last three minutes today just to tell you that it's a really important concept to think about you know, back at the time of the Revolutionary War, and we study it now, and we look at the Boston Tea Party, and that was not a, an insurrection, or that was it was a it was a righteous protest against mistreatment, a righteous protest against injustice, and that's what happened in Washington D.C. on that day, on January 6th. It was a righteous protest against what was clearly to the Ameri to many, many people, a stolen election. And you do not have, it was not an insurrection. You don't have those insurrection charges happening because that's not what happened. So um, we're going to do this again tomorrow with a bright in radio. We'll keep working on getting our uh, timing. I hope I didn't cut them off too quickly, but I do at the close of every show try to tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started our show with a stroll through the November 2020 election. Americans have recognized smoking guns of election fraud since November 3rd, 2020. Five swing states stopped vote counting at night. Trump ahead in all five. After vote resumption, who knew Trump lost all five? Trump won 18 out of 19 bellwether counties. Trump gained 11 plus million votes from 2016 to 2020. Unprecedented in U.S. history, yet lost. Trump had 25,000 plus people at rallies on a few days notice. Biden had essentially nothing, no campaign, nothing. Mountains of additional evidence have been assembled since November 3rd, 2020. Media parroting of no evidence of outcome changing fraud is absolute nonsense. It is a complete lie. America in January 2022 is not over it and not ready to move on. No amount of legacy media and big tech mockery and censorship will change that fact. There is simply too much evidence out there and understood by the American people. And on how to, on election theft, I'm not advocating, I'm pointing out what they did. Familiarize yourself with the findings of Dr. Douglas Frank and Seth Keschel's uh, Zuckerberg's ballot harvesting operation, True the Vote, showing 242 people doing 5,662 ballot drops in Georgia. Why is that suspicious? Massive pumping up of voter rolls in advance of 2020, yet many, many counties with more votes than on, than on the registration rolls, many with more votes than people residing in the county or the precinct. Canvassing has shown massive fraud, tens of thousands in Maricopa County, Arizona alone. Georgia already has official admissions that evidence records have been destroyed. Arizona had a million lines of software code on voting machines deleted just before the audit started. Nowhere have elected officials shown honest desire to get to the bottom of what happened 
It's all denial, delay, obstruction, and mockery. None of this signals innocence. All it points to massive fraud. And on January 6th was not an insurrection. Nancy Pelosi, January 6th obsession has one purpose, to stop Trump from ever running again and to silence Trump supporters. January 6th comparisons of Pearl Harbor and 9-11 are absurd. Consider Steve Scalise and the attempted assassination of GOP House members. Consider the 1983 Capitol Hill explosion. No one was killed on January 6th by any protester. Characterizing new voter integrity laws as a continuation of January 6th insurrection is lunacy. Americans are not buying the insurrection narrative any longer. Too much time has passed, evidence still being withheld, including 14,000 hours of video. No charges filed for insurrection or sedition. Federal agents, provocateurs, clearly identified in the video but never charged, screams false flag. November 3rd, 2020 was the insurrection. And I didn't get to this in the show today, but I did a little slide on how to fix. And I just, I want to uh, encourage this. I completely support going all the way to paper ballots only, manual counting, election day voting only with, with some, um, with some uh, very, very tight exceptions, voter ID, no voting machines of any kind. The American people do not object to any of these reforms. Only the leaders of the Democrat Party object, and for one reason, they have to cheat to win. If they can't cheat, they can't win. Saving America requires fixing our election system. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. Like a crashing America, can we talk truth about America?